as Clyde was talking and he was mentioned hearing from the Lord, um, we teach here in our prophetic classes that God is always speaking and his first language isn't always English. And I'm always reminded of that moment. We have this old Crosley radio. It's like really old. You turn it on, it takes like two hours to warm up. It's got the big tubes in it and everything. <clears throat> and you start turning the dial and it's like, I mean, it's all, I mean, you're just getting frequencies from all over the world. You'll hear things in languages you don't even know what they're saying. And it's a great reminder that through this room, the Spirit of God is speaking. Are we listening? Are we tuned into what he's saying? And I don't know about you, but someone asked me about how I prepare my sermons. I write a lot of notes out because I hear, this is just me, I hear a lot going on. I hear the Spirit talking. I hear other people talking. I pick up on uh, something moving in the corner, making a, that's just how I work. I'm just, everything draws me from my main point. So for me, to stay focused, I have to look at my notes. And, I, and as I do that, I really hear what the Lord is saying. And he's been speaking so much to my heart lately about where we're going, what's going on in the future. And if there was ever a moment, if there was ever a time to put your seatbelt on, we're in that moment. <clears throat> yeah, this is, this is one of those moments. And we've kind of been going on what I felt God is speaking to us as a people, as a tribe here in this house. And one of the things we answered last week, I hope, was when you're asked the question, why do I go to church? You're able to give a theologically rooted answer as to why you go to church. We come together because there's something bigger when we all come together. Yes, God does deal with us, and he comes to us individually. We talked about that. But God also is really about the us as well. And there's something about us coming. And I got to say, my heart is so overjoyed this morning seeing all of your faces here today. Amen? It's powerful because the synergy that's created when we all come together in his presence for his purposes is over the top. We are becoming an army, and I see that happening before my eyes. So where we're going now, and I'm going to finish out kind of where we're launching into this year, and that is spiritual warfare training. I think the church... I think the church, for the most part, has been overtaught. I don't think we've been practicing a lot of what we've been taught. You hear me? Man, there's an old Keith Green song. It's called Too Fat to Fly. And the words literally are about, we take all this stuff in, but we get so big, we can't fly anymore. We've got all this knowledge, and woo, but we're not doing anything with it. And then at the same time, we're crying, more, God, I want more. And God's going, hold on. What are you doing with what I already gave you? Get rid of that. Move it on. Press it out there. Go out and impart it to others. And then I will give you more. And I think I've, it's been such a blessing to watch so many of you move out of here, take, taking what you believe outside of these walls into your circle of influence. And as you do that, God's beginning to pour more into your hearts and into your lives for the future. Amen? Amen? So I want to start by saying, have you ever seen someone who is really full of bravado? And 
And, and I'm talking about that bravado that's like, yeah, yeah. Like, for instance, in high school, I had this friend named Chris. I'll call him Chris because that was his name. <laughs> I didn't want to say his name. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, forgive me if you're watching this. But Chris was one of those guys like, yeah, yeah. And he would be on the bottom of the pile looking up going, when I get up, when I get up, you're like, shut up and just stop fighting. He had no training. He didn't know what he was doing. He just was making haymakers, and he'd end up on the ground, and he'd be down at the bottom just yelling, when I get up. I see a lot of equally zealous believers who have no spiritual training in the same context. They hoot and they holler and they woohoo, but they have no substance in their heart. They have no spiritual training, if you hear what I'm saying. And what happens is, is they become easy prey for the enemy. You know, the charismatic, charismatic Pentecostal streams that we run in, we get hollered at that for a lot. We don't impart a lot of training, they say, into these people. And they go out there, woohoo, and then they fall on their face or they get discouraged easily. I think there's some truth to that. You know, I want to say it's, I think it's, we're in this moment. It's sad, but I think it's true that the church seems as if it's absorbing more darkness from the world than it is giving off light to the world. Think about that for a moment. There's so much fear. There's so much where people have just taken their football and went home. I'm done. I'll just go home and, and watch you from afar. I'm tired of fighting in this game. I'm tired. You, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. And you feel that. This night of hope that's coming, I'm so proud of Rebecca and others that are getting around this night of hope. And it's not just a night of hope. It's hope night where we really are believing that God's going to come and bring hope to broken and wounded people. And February 3rd, correct? 7 o'clock here, come, please come. But more importantly than that, I want to invite you to Monday night intercessory prayer because we need to pray into this moment that I think God's going to use as a pivotal point in where we're going in the future. If we can't get our hearts and our, and our head in that game of praying for those that are coming, then what are we doing? Now, I'm talking to, so put your big boy and big girl pants on today. Put your feet in your boots really deep because some of the things I may say this morning may kind of rock you a little bit, but I need to say them. I think our lack of power and influence as a church has shrunk to disastrous levels. This is my observation. I'm talking about the capital C church. And what is frustrating is it seems like we're losing this war for all the wrong reasons. We have the best message. We have the best book in front of us in so many different uh, forms and ways and fashions. We have God's word. And we have the greatest power, but that's not how we look to the world. At best, Christianity at this moment in time is kind of being dismissed as this quaint little relic. And at worst, I think it's, they look at us as a virus that must be eradicated. If you don't see it, you're not looking hard because there's a pushback on the people of God, on people of faith today, unlike we've seen historically for years and years and years. And they want to put our lights out. Are you going to let them do it? So I think it's fair to say, how did this happen? How did we get here? And I want to honestly say, I think a lot of it has to do with 
modern preaching. Now, I'm talking the capital C church. I think, and I wrote here, the pulpit is the culprit. You know, modern preaching has become more persistently therapeutic. It's, it's got to be about a feel-good message. If I can't go to church and come out of there feeling good, feeling warm and fuzzy, having all my needs met, then I'm not going back to that church. Whoa. I, I think what happens in that kind of thought is that, is that this kind of preaching inevitably makes emotional recovery the priority. Now, I'm not about emotional recovery, but if that's all we focus on, then all we have is a little clinic. You have to ask yourself, how did self-help become the goal of a movement based on self-denial? You have to ask yourself that. I think that's a tribute to the devil's ability to deceive mankind. So, is there any hope? Of course there is. Is there any way to reverse this and to see something incredible happen in our lifetime? Of course there is. But first, I think we have to admit one thing. And it's the one thing that a lot of believers today don't want to talk about. And that is that we are in a war right now. We are in, spiritual we're in a spiritual battle. It is that good versus evil. That's light versus dark. It's that cosmic thing going on, not only in the universe, but in our hearts and our heads as well. And I know you guys feel it. There is a, there is a presence of evil that has been exposed in just the past two, three years that is just rolling forward like a steamship. It, 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 it has been happening for a long time, but it's been exposed. And I believe that we're not winning this war because there's a lot of believers who either do not believe there is a war, and they kind of go, la, 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 I don't want to, ooh, I don't want to hear about fighting, and it just it disgusts me, I don't want to hear about fighting. But that's what we're in. So either they don't believe there's a war, or the other thing is, is they don't feel it's their place, or they're not called to get into the battle. We're going to let the National Guard fight this one for us. There's a lot of believers out there who cannot fathom war. They find it repugnant. They find it, it offensive, just the idea of the concept of just war. They find it detestable. These are the ones who cannot stand conflict. I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to offend the people I work with because I, I, I just don't want to say anything. I'm telling you, it's time to speak up. It's time to fight. Listen to this. It's time to fight like you're the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, I didn't, I, I've read that somewhere, but I thought, that is so good. Can you imagine the third monkey? <laughs> Not going to be me. I'm getting in there. We got to have that attitude. Where in the world am I? <laughs> Those who deny the existence of a war between good and evil, hear me. If, if, if you're in that camp, I'm not pointing fingers, but if you're in that camp, I'm going to tell you this. 
you are also rejecting God and his word. Because the word is really, really clear and consistent when it comes to war, especially spiritual warfare. There, in the New Testament alone, the Old Testament as well, but in the New Testament alone, there are many references to weapons, to armor, to tactics, and to other military terms, right? Those of you who have really, the noble Bereans in this room, you see that in the writings. So secondly, we must become trained or educated in spiritual warfare, not just talk about it, not just read a bunch of books about it and feel good, but actually get out there and learn how to apply what we know to do. Right now, I'm going to tell you, and this, I hope I don't step on too many toes where I go here for a moment, but right now, the world does not need believers who always need feel-good messages. That's right. I'm sorry. We need believers who are on fire. Right. We need believers who are trained in warfare. We need believers, again, who have their pants on fire, and they're running with all their might. That's what the world needs now. They don't need quiet, little tiny people sitting off to the side, quietly not saying nothing. They need people running up to them and bringing them life. You know, one of the challenges I've watched over the years is there are people who are still camping at those moments in their life when the glory of God came. They're still there. Now, those moments are part of our testimony, and they're powerful. And I, I know that when we share our story, we get to inject those moments. But we're not supposed to live or create monuments at those moments. It's time to move on. The latter glory is going to be much greater than the former. Amen. That's what we need to press on for, the latter glory. There is so much more if we can just look above what's going on and press into the latter, and I, th I, think it's, I think this is that moment. Paul exhorts us in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This is in the context of training and, 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 and defense and warfare. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When someone comes up to you and says, you're different, can you tell me why? Most of you in this room can, I get that. But th there are those who simply shut down at that moment. They go, you know, I, I, I go to church, I believe in Jesus. Oh, by the way, I gotta go clean an oven, I need to go home right now, and they disappear. You should be able to stand there and give a reason for why you're where you're at in God. You should be able to stand there and give a reason for the hope that is in you. You should be able to articulate it incredibly clearly so that those people can understand at least where your heart is coming from. Amen? Right. Training in the days when Jesus walked on this earth was a high priority to Jesus. In fact, I think it was one of the top priorities. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you guys know this one by heart, at least I hope you do. It's a great commission, but listen. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do you catch that? Yes. Teaching them to obey. These are the very words of Jesus. 
He says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Boy, in this day and age, when you start talking and using language like that, there's some people that get really offended, especially in the church. <gasps> I'm an American. I have my rights. How dare you tell me to obey? You can't do that to me. I am my own man or woman, whatever that, or woman. <laughs> Who are you? You ever heard that from someone? I have. As pastor, they come in, they talk, and you start counseling, sharing with them, you give them some kind of, you know, this is what you really should be doing. Like, oh, oh, you just offended me. Or, you just offended me. I don't want to leave anybody <laughs> out here. <clears throat> but Jesus is telling them, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. I think the church is making a lot of things today. But I don't think they're making many disciples that are obedient to the word of God. I don't think we're seeing a lot of disciples that are following the words of Jesus. We see a lot of disciples following people. We see a lot of disciples following, and a disciple simply someone following somebody. We see people following great ideas and thoughts and different things. But are we seeing, are we raising people, and it's a challenge to my own heart, are we raising people that are obedient and are following God's word? Listen, the early church did not have those tickle me, Elmo, feel good messages. They didn't. And, and I'm telling you, neither did it the early church produce feel good believers because that's not what it was about. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of believers, I believe, today that have this endless quest to hold on to goosebump feelings. Now, I am, you guys know my heart. I love the presence of God. I love when the Holy Spirit shows up. But I'll tell you, when the Holy Spirit shows up in my own heart, He is my high tower. The, the Holy Spirit is my PowerPoint that I go to to plug into, plugs into me to recharge me and to fill me with energy to go out and do what He's called me to do. I'm big on spending time with the Holy Spirit. But I know that I can't live in that moment forever. If we focus on just the goosebump feelings, if we focus on just that woo-hoo moment, if, we, if that's all we focus on, I'm telling you, this guarantees we're never gonna move that needle forward in terms of advancing the kingdom of God. That's a harsh truth. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, I'm telling you, the early church could have easily turned that moment, that blessing that came upon them, into an excuse for gorging on emotion. Think about that. They could have formed a little secret society that endlessly soaked in the presence of God. And I'm telling you, as, as a charismatic Pentecostal Pastor, I do have some evangelical overtones in my heart. I think we have to be very careful with this. What happened on the day of Pentecost, and, and instead of them sitting down and just creating this mega church, what they did was inst instead of, 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 of just gathering and hovering over a moment, man, the Holy Spirit, if you read the word and you read it through the lens of how it was written, not the way you want to interpret it, it simply tells them that the Holy Spirit drove them out of the safety of the upper room and forced them to go out into the streets. And then for a moment, they stopped and they preached with power and they preached with authority and thousands of people were saved. 
thousands. But they didn't stop there. They went to the ends of the earth. And I'm telling you, at that moment, all those thousands of people could have retreated again into some festival, some kind of huge fellowship. Again, it could have been the first megachurch on the planet, but it wasn't. The disciples knew better, and so did the new converts. They knew they had a job to do. Acts 2, 42 through 43 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That was the teaching. We're going to talk about it just for a moment. And fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There's a novel thought. They prayed together too. Whoa. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So you read this. It wasn't about hovering around a moment when all these goosebumps were happening. It wasn't. It was about training and equipping. That was the order of the day. The apostles understood that the church must be saturated with the word of God. They saw the urgency of right doctrine and fervent prayer. We've got to have the right doctrine. We've got to have fervent prayer, which I'll just sidebar for a moment. Intercessory prayer. We need you there. I get it. Stuff happens. You got things. Go- I get that. But I would encourage you try to, to try to at least come sometimes to intercessory prayer. I think it should become a higher priority in our lives because that's the moment where we're interceding on behalf of those that who cannot or don't know how to or don't even know. We're interceding for them to bring them into the kingdom. And I would really propose to you the next what, three weeks that we really meet on Monday nights to pray into Hope Night. We need it. This place should be filled with people because it's, there's so much hopelessness in the world today, and I believe that we carry the answer. We carry the seeds that can plant hope in their hearts. Amen? Amen? <clears throat> I wrote here, in virtually every church growth model, doctrine and prayer are some of the first things to go. When I look at these church growth models and all the stuff that comes across my plate through email and all the stuff people call I quickly find out that prayer and doctrine are some of the first things to go. Or they're really vague at best. If you've ever done a web search and you look at different churches' websites, and I'm not throwing rocks, I'm just saying this is what I'm finding, is you'll see their theology or their doctrinal statement or their statement of faith, however you want to word it. It's somewhere hidden way, 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 way back on page 300. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you be, why wouldn't you want to just say, this is who we are and this is what we believe? Well, it's, it's that seeker-friendly kind of attitude that we just want, we just want you all to come and feel part and warm and fuzzy and we're going to feed you and have a great time. Now, I think there's a time for that, but if that's all that we're about, we're never going to create people who can stand up and face the enemy. And there's part of me that wonders how much the devil is really behind that. The doctrines that the disciples taught were the very words of Jesus. This is important. Words that were remembered and quickened by the Holy Spirit, they were arranged into what we call the New Testament. These words were so orderly, they were called the apostles' doctrines. 
Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20? He said, and teaching them to obey all or everything that I've commanded you. So what were they teaching? They were teaching and they were training the early disciples on the very words of Jesus. If Jesus said go, they said where? If Jesus said pray, they said for who? If Jesus said they, do you follow what I'm saying? They did it. They didn't sit there and go, you know, but hey. But we know today, we read this in the scripture, but today we know things are different. The culture's different. The things have changed. And, and we need to take this message and maybe even create a hybrid that fits their situation so they feel better. I'm sorry. That's not going to work. The early church did not depend on ethereal kind of emotions or inner impressions. They didn't. I'll tell you, they relied on the Holy Spirit who unswervingly committed itself, the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is always speaking. And I believe He's always speaking God's heart. Are you listening? Can you hear Him? I'm going to tell you something. If we turn our back on God and His Word, then the Holy Spirit will stop speaking to us. You go, wait a minute, I still hear voices. Oh, yeah, you'll still hear voices. But they're not going to be the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be God's voice. It's going to be a counterfeit. And I've seen that in a lot of churches where they have watered down the gospel so far, it's almost anti-Bible in nature, and there's a counterfeit gospel coming out of those movements. It's sad, but it's true. So, who wants to be trained in spiritual warfare? Who wants to take it to the next level? I do. Oh, see some hands? Okay, I just saw I want to make sure I'm in the right room. <laughs> Do you want to be that highly skilled, trained individual that is a soldier for God? I'm all in. That's been the passion of my life, and many of you as well. And I'm going to tell you, there are some older folks in here who I believe have had this incredible journey, and I want you to know, we need you guys to keep running with the big dogs. We need you. We need the wisdom that you guys bring to the table. We need your expertise. We need your help. Because if anything, you've gone on ahead and you go, oh, 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 oh. don't step there because that's a deep hole. And if we listen to that, we'll avoid a pitfall, right? So your training, if you so accept, begins with these verses. Turn with me to Romans 12. <clears throat> Uh-oh. Romans 12. Chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 1 and 2. I'm sorry, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. There we go. I'll get it. Romans 12. Now, we've preached this a lot in this house, but I want to revisit something here. <clears throat> it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. I urge you, brothers and sisters. He's not saying, please, I'm asking, would you? He's urging them. This is important. He said, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, it's the next few words that are key here. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship is putting it all on the altar. 
Your true and proper worship is to give it all to Jesus. That means tithing of everything that you are. Now, when I say tithing, I'm not talking about just money. I think the new commodity today is time. But that means tithing your time, putting it all on there. And not just part of you and hope you can get away with God not seeing that other part. Because that's my, my personal space. It's my little bubble. I don't want you in. I want to keep that. God wants it all. He wants it all. And if you don't give it to him, all of yourself to him, you're going to struggle. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Wow. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. will. So number one, just four things really quick. Training for spiritual warfare begins by emptying yourself of yourself. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And a lot of false things you picked up along the way. Now, we have to remember that before we were born again, we were born into a world, our body, and I don't want to get all into all this, get off track here, but we are a three-part being. We have a soul, we have a spirit, and we have a physical body, loosely. And our physical body, our spirit and our soul grew up in this, well, I'll call it violent, crazy world. And so many things that we were born and raised with were anti-God. So we come to Jesus and we have this moment and what happens is God comes and he regenerates our spirit and he reconnects it to his spirit. And then all of a sudden this little tiny thing starts, starts growing. Now it starts fighting with the flesh. It starts fighting with the soul, that part of our nature that's our will, our mind. Our, it, it, it wrestles with all that. And it's kind of like that Jiminy Cricket thing. One side's going, yeah, you can do it. And the other side, no, don't do it. Yeah, you can do it. No, don't do it. it. How many know that one? Yeah, it's quite a wrestling match. But I'm telling you, we have got to come to this place where we renew our minds by reading the Word. We renew our minds by having the Word poured over us, by people praying for us, by us entering into the presence of God, by us getting on our knees, by us studying the Word. That's what we need to do. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. There's a lot of things we have to break off. And by doing that, we go to the word. We go to prayer. We get involved. We plug ourselves in somewhere. And we wrestle those things through. Amen? The and it goes much deeper than that. But the second thing is, this is a tough one. Listen, you must surrender your right to personal opinion. What? What? Yeah. Let me tell you something. You're, not a, you're a soldier now in his army. You're not a consultant. Uh, can you picture that? It's kind of like a Beetle Bailey kind of thing. Hey, Sarge, you know, da -da. next thing you know, you see Beetle Bailey like walking like this. He's got all whomped on by the sergeant. Uh, you, if you've ever been in the military, you don't go up to your commanding officer and say, you know, you told us to run down the hill into the... But I have this opinion about this. It doesn't work. Now, those of you that have strong opinions, I understand it. But if your opinion doesn't line up with God and his word, then you're going to have a hard time following orders that are coming from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If Jesus says, hey, you need to go down to the park or you need to go back to or you need to turn around and go back to Walmart and speak to that person. 
Well, you know, Jesus, my opinion is they're probably gone now. My opinion is they're probably, you know, that. And we can explain it away and miss a moment. How many have experienced that moment? Yeah. And then God takes you around the mountain again, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm here again. Well, you better do the right thing. Now, when I say opinion, I'm not, please don't go south on me, because I know some of you carry some really good words and things. But I'm talking about when you think your, your opinion trumps God and his word. That's where you're going to get in trouble. And you must maintain three. You must maintain this training attitude for the remainder of your life. Guys, we're not here to just test the waters. We're not coming into this to see how it goes. I'll check it out. I'm going to put my toe in the water of Christianity for a moment and just kind of see how it feels, how it goes. This is the discipline that you must train yourself and get your flesh under control. Let your spirit become bigger than your flesh. And this is a discipline that you will walk in for the rest of your life. You need to. And the fourth thing is, and this is a tough one too, is you've got to find your assignment. I believe there is something that you are supposed to do. I think there's something corporately that we are supposed to do. But I think individually there's something that God has called you to do before you leave this earth. I think that there is something that God has uniquely prepared you to shout from the rooftops. Paul and Peter modeled what it meant and what it looked like to be bold. In Ephesians 6, 19, Paul says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, I speak words, <clears throat> whenever I, please pray for me that whenever I speak, there we go, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You'll never know if you have those words given to you until you open your mouth. Have you ever noticed that when you're, you have one of those moments where the Holy, you just feel the Holy Spirit's on you and you just start speaking and all of a sudden you go, where did that come from? Right. Where did that come from? Right. Well, it came from here. The Holy Spirit has given you the words. And that's one of the challenges today is we start to speak and everyone tells you to shut up. Yeah. We start to stand up for truth and they go, sit down. And it's hard. But I think there's a way we can press through that, and I think we're at that moment. The greatest weapon that God has given us is a voice. And I'm telling you, your voice is not to be silent, nor is it to be silenced. It's not. Your voice is to be heard from the mountaintops. And I'm not talking about just a voice with your opinion. It's your voice that's sending or bringing or shouting something that God is speaking to the world. Never underestimate the power of the voice, guys. Your voice, oh my goodness. Think about this. With just a voice, there are people historically in the word of God who have defeated armies. With just a voice, there were people who raised people from the dead. Lazarus, come forth! Just their voice. Your voice is powerful. It is the most powerful tool that you have. It's not, it's not the might of your physique. It's none of that. It's your voice. And God will put the words in your mouth that you need to speak to those who need to hear from him. This world was created by the voice of God. We were created in his image. 
So we have the power and the ability to speak what he is speaking. If we can only believe that. There are many verses that tell us about the power of God and what God has given us in our voice. Isaiah 4, I love this. You might write this down. Isaiah 4. I don't, oh, I don't have the, I didn't write the actual verse number, but it says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, meaning the trained, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. I believe so many of you are carrying that word. You just got to have the courage to step out and open up your mouth and speak life. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Do you wake up with great expectancy, great expectation for the Spirit of God to speak into your ear? Do it. Do it. See what happens. In the middle of the night, God awakens me a lot. And I love it because you just have that moment where God speaks to your heart. And you realize you've got to write out, go out and rewrite your entire sermon in 20 minutes. No. I want to hear his voice. I only want to speak what he's speaking. If I'm here just shooting off my mouth, it's, it's a wash. <clears throat> Isaiah 49.2. This is a good one. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. But the greatest promise, I think, refers to our time in this present darkness where Jesus says in Luke 21, 15, for I will give you a mouth and I will give you wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Whoa, let me read that again. Jesus said, I will give you a mouth and I will give you wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. And I believe that this training that God wants to move us into will not only remove fear from our hearts, it'll make us bold, and it'll make us bold as lions to face the enemy. So, how do everyday people like us do these extraordinary things, push back and, 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 and destroy this present evil? How do we do it? Well, we're going to learn how to do it. But I think the key is by finding your God-given voice. Amen? I want to read this in closing. This comes from Garris Elkins. This is a powerful, short little word off his blog. But it says, the people of God are magnetic people. That magnetism happens because we carry the Spirit. You ever wonder why people kind of walk up to you or gravitate towards you? It's not your cologne, guys. I'm telling you. It's because there's something magnetic in you. It's because you carry the Spirit. Jesus said when referring to his coming crucifixion, he says, when I am lifted up from earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Think about that. When Jesus ascended into the heavens, all of mankind was drawn to him. And who is he in? He's in us. So that's why people are drawn to you. You're magnetic. The spirit of God in you is carrying something that is attractant, and it's, it, 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 it's attracting others to you because of the presence of God in you. I, I remember I've shared this story before. I was working at a place, and man, I, I was so on fire for God, and I'm just working away. And you know, I was a meat cutter then. I'm just cutting and stabbing at meat and doing all this crazy stuff, and 
And this guy comes up and he takes his scabber off. That's what holds your knife. So he throws it on a meat block and he goes, dude, what is it? I said, what do you mean? His name is Gordy. I said, what do you mean, Gordy? He goes, what are you taking? I said, what do you mean? Because I want some of that because you're always happy. You never get down. He goes, the boss gives us a list that's four blocks long. I whine and scream about it and you just do it. What are you taking? I want some of that. Come on. So we went to lunch. I said, man, it's just Jesus. He's like, really? So anyhow, that night at the old Choo Choo Willie's downtown Grants Pass, I think it's the Umquad Bank now, he gave his heart to Jesus. People are wondering, what is it that you're carrying? If you're walking with Jesus. He goes, a few verses later, Scripture tells us, but despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most people still, still do not believe in him. That's a reality that we wrestle with. The drawing, that drawing ability of the Lord offers people a choice to believe in him or reject him. This magnetism also extends to those times when the truth we believe because of the presence of Christ within us will draw people to us with hostile and confrontive questions. That's happening today. In those moments, speaking the truth in love is the only option that will keep our character intact and not silence our voice no matter who is offended by the truth answer, truthful answer we express. Yeah. He says something's been taking place in the church for the last few decades, and this is where he kind of gets in the meat for just a moment. In the last few decades, where many believers are no longer confident to speak the truth outside of the safe confines of fellowship. We can be so fearful that the truth will create an offense that we remain silent when our voices should be heard. You have a voice. It needs to be heard. Now, nowhere did I say you have an argument. You have a voice. This silence sadly happens too often when we are asked questions <clears throat> regarding issues like abortion, like human sexuality, or the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to God. We've talked about this in the past. When these questions come our way, it's because the Spirit is bringing the inquirer to us, no matter if the inquirer is honest or dishonest. These encounters test our willingness to honor even the onerous people who are believing a lie and wanting to make a point. They also reveal the extent of our mercy. Wow. And then he finishes out with, we have been promised that the truth will set us free, right? That's a promise. But some of you are living like you don't believe that. <sighs> Freedom is not possible unless truth is spoken, offering people clarity and a way out of their prison of unbelief. And then he says, if our answers are not clear, if our answers are not truthful, the voice of the church will become weakened and compromised. I think we're seeing that happen. Right. And silent when the people who are living in bondage need honest and straightforward answers to their questions. We should never allow the possibility of an offense to keep us silent, no matter who is offended by the truthful answers that we will speak in love. Wow. I said a lot this morning. I, I stirred the pot a little bit. That's okay. I hope you guys can forgive me, but I'm not too worried about that. I have to speak the truth in love. You guys carry something in you. It needs to be heard. And we're going we're gonna to move into this and talk more about learning to find your voice. 
and learning to find the confidence to stand up and speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. So let's stand. <clears throat> Clyde? You want to do the honors? I love this. I love this because kind of get the deer in the headlight look sometimes. <laughs> love you, brother. Well, I already <clears throat> wanted to say something. Thank you, Pastor Doug. I just want to applaud this man for sharing the truth and love. And uh, I know in the past he says, well, I don't want to meddle. But everything within me <clears throat> says yes. Yeah. Metal. Stir the pot. Because there's so much stuff that just sits. We need to be challenged. Right? This isn't just a man up here. This is the voice of the Lord. Someone who seeks God, seeks his heart, his word for us. And I receive it. I receive it. It's good. And um, so, Father, I just thank you so much. Um, ah. Boldness. God, we want it. We want to look it right in the eye. We want to look you in the eye. God, we know that you love us so much. You love us so much. We just ask for boldness to open our mouths, whether it be our voices or kind gestures or both or all of it. Just to share your goodness, your gospel, your good news to those that are waiting for it. There's so much bad news. I ask God that you would give us the boldness to just release your love to all those around us, into the community. God, that we would be an encouragement, that people would say God yeah. does exist. <clears throat> Jesus is real. Uh -huh. And I just ask that you would uh, visit spots in our hearts, really. As you rose from the dead, God, we need, to be, we need to be alive in Christ. We need to wake up. And I thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we don't do this alone. Yeah. It's with you. Yeah. Your empowerment, God. Your authority. So we ask, God, for, um, that we would be sensitive as we would turn, tune in our, our frequencies on our radio yeah. to hear what you have throughout this week, that we would stop for a moment and get off our own track and align up with your track, with your list, what you want to do. Thank you, Lord. Prepare our hearts. We want to give you all the glory. And again, thank you for our, our pastor, our leadership in this body. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um.